just being open and honest about where you are in it has just made it so much easier for me at every stage to be able to share the process and the progress where I am at the moment. Hi, welcome to episode 45 of Art Juice. This is generous, honest and humorous conversations to feed your creative soul and get you thinking with me, Louise Fletcher. And me, Alice Sheridan. And today we're talking about the mystery of art. Should you share your creative techniques or should you keep them to yourself? We also have an audience question actually about one of our creative techniques. So we can talk about that and we'll do our usual what's inspired. But first of all, let's talk about what's been happening this week. So what's been happening, Alice, this week? Uh, Well, I have had uh, a good week in the studio, actually. And things have been going around in circles for a bit. But at the end of last week, I just had that moment, you know, where you get a sudden realization of completion or moment of completion. And it, it tends to come somewhat frustratingly after you've spent a long time fiddling <laughs> in my case with something and realized do you know what I'm not sure this is making an enormous difference now and sometimes those fiddle parts at the end they just pull things into shape a little bit but they're, they're not huge impactful changes but I just noticed that when I get to that point and I'm not getting big urges it's like oh this needs to change this needs to change if I get to the point where I don't really know what to do next and I'm feeling quite satisfied with it, that's when I know that I'm done. So rather humorously, I, I did a post on Instagram and I said, how do you think I should have these framed? Really simple frame or something a little bit more complex? And then I got so excited that I took everything off to the framer and um, chose some really nice frames that are a little bit more complex and came back to my Instagram poll And the result of that was 98% of people said, go simple. (laughs) Oops. (laughs) Oh, well, too late. Oh, well, I've chosen it. So I will be picking those up this week and they will be going out. Um, A framer said to me, what are these for then? I said, I don't know. I'm just, they're finished and they're ready. So I guess they will be going out to uh, my mailing list first. But yeah, so as a result of that, it feels like the studio is, clearer and I don't mean in terms of space physically I mean in terms of allowing what is the new work to develop it felt like these were kind of a step back and the new things now that these haven't been in the studio this week are really just taking on a much more fun life of their own so that's I'm really enjoying that that's good oh that's interesting yeah huh. interesting that they affected well I haven't had any painting in fact I did two hours of painting I think it was on Wednesday and then I've been paying for it yes uh, ever since because I don't have any time so (laughs) um, it was one of those things like when you have a really busy job and you say I'm gonna they say you can take a day off or whatever and you take a day off and then there's just twice as much work waiting for you when you get back it felt like that and um But that's because I always knew this was going to be a busy week because you and I have been running our best year ever event, which I'm sure many people listening have been part of. And it's been fantastic. It was fantastic. But it was just a lot of work on top of a lot of work because it's also course time for me. So that's that's a time when I know I won't have as much painting time because I'm 
teaching and developing content and answering questions and responding to emails. But, and I, and it's one of those things that when we said to do it, I thought, Oh, that's going to be a really busy week, but it's fine. It's one thing to think it's going to be a really busy week. And it's another thing to be in the middle of it. So it culminated today with me um, yelling, well, partly yelling at our builder. I can't possibly go to the hardware store and look at paint varnish colors. I can't decide what paint varnish my studio is going to be done in because I have to do this and this and this and this. And he was like, okay, all right, all right, <laughs> calm down. And, and we probably made a little bit of a rod for our own back because when we came up with this idea, when we met back in September, we were like, let's make it really simple. It can be really straightforward and we'll just show up and it will just be like, the podcast but live on video and and then and then (laughs) and then we just (laughs) once we actually started and this is probably my fault but once we started sitting down and looking at it I thought I want to give people something really concrete I want to give them because I know that when I do something like this I want to come out of it with something tangible and physical so we started I started you started you've done a beautiful job creating all these kind of worksheets and things and you know, even while I was doing it, I was thinking, this is not simple anymore. This is not simple anymore. But when people have been doing them and responding, it's been really, really good to see. And, you know, I have to admit, at the end of last week, before it started, I was thinking, why are we doing this? You've got loads on. I've got loads on. And yet, when it started, to see the kind of revelations that people are having just discoveries that they're making, just things that they're being truthful about. And it's just, you know what it is? It's that recognition of all those little steps and stages that I remember going through and you remember going through and we still have to do this reflection time and make these changes. And it's just, oh God, it's just so worthwhile. It's been really, really worthwhile, even if it's kept us super busy. Yeah. And the the workbook that you created is amazing. And I know that my course finishes the week before Christmas and then I've pretty much got some free time for a few months. And I'm, I thought, right, as soon as that week before Christmas, I am sitting down with this workbook and I am going through every bit of it because already in our conversations, I'm getting little realizations and things that I already know, but I never have time to stop and think about. And it's just that thing of stopping and thinking, isn't it? We can go through our lives just blindly like, like hamsters on a wheel. And this is just the time to stop and think, okay, is everything I'm doing what I want to be doing? Is it the way I want to be doing it? Is there an easier way to do it? Is there a way to get help that could take some of the weight off this? So yeah, it's been absolutely brilliant. I've loved yeah. it. I've done lots of these kind of questions, but actually more than are in this workbook, but um, you know, on a regular basis, but I've always done it in a rather dry word document. So it's been really fun writing it on pretty sheets. <laughs> and they are pretty everybody. And so uh, just a quick mention, if you haven't joined us, it's over now live, but it's still all there for you. So all you have to do is look for the Facebook group, which is your best art year ever and come and join and you can have access to everything that we did. Yeah, we were going to make it just a pop up and then disappear. But actually, we've decided we think 
you know people are having a good time we've got to keep it there so you can still come and join us I keep doing that. I keep thinking, oh, this Facebook group will just be a pop-up group. And then everybody wants it to keep going. And so there's another Facebook group. But anyway, yes, please come and join us. So shall we talk about our main topic, which I think is a really interesting one. And given that we both share quite a bit of what we do, I think, in different ways, yeah. we, we thought it'd be interesting to talk about the, whether our art process should be mysterious and kept just for ourselves or shared with other people or somewhere in between. Um, I've, I, this came up for me as a topic when I heard of a situation where an artist was upset over some sharing that had happened after a workshop. This artist felt like their techniques were being used without credit, without being credited. That's a tough one. Yeah. And, um, and it had hurt both the artist and the person accused. So it was one of those situations where it had upset quite a few people. Um, and it, and it made me think this, this person had written to me and said, I'm going to take your course. What am I allowed to share? What am I not allowed to share? What do I have to credit you for? And my response was nothing. You have to credit me for nothing. You yeah. paying me to take a course. And in, and in my opinion, then everything I taught you is what I've chosen to give you. You don't have to go around for the rest of your life saying I got this from Louise Fletcher more than anything, because how much of what we have is ours anyway? Yeah. How do you remember necessarily where you learn where you learn things from? I think that is a really tricky one, though, actually, because how how do you define having? Do you have rights over your technique? I mean, what what is your technique? How do you define your technique? You know, you can't copyright it necessarily and make it so make it yours. Yeah, you have a copyright over your images. But I yep. don't, it's a bit like, I don't think you can have copyright over words. You can have copyright of the entire book, but you can't copyright individual words. And actually what we're talking about here is the way that we use materials. You know, I can't copyright or keep to myself the way that I use acrylic paint because probably the way that I use acrylic paint is not really that different from the next person. Yeah. And if you've discovered, I suppose if you discovered a technique that you really had discovered something that you've never seen anyone else do. What? So like mixing paint with nail varnish remover or. Yeah. Done that. I don't, don't try that. Or maybe try it and let us no. know. Well, I'm thinking, remember I was saying I discovered this thing by accident and I'm certainly not saying this is a technique to be repeated, but if I cleaned off oil pastel from my painting with mineral spirits even after the mineral spirits have dried when I apply acrylic paint over the top of them this really weird and quite cool effect happens somehow there's still a resist there from the mineral spirits even though they appear to have dried or maybe it's a resist from the mixture of oil pastel and mineral spirits yeah. I don't even know what it is but it makes this cool effect which is in a few of my paintings but if I did a workshop and said, here's what I do with oil, pastel and mineral spirits, have a go. Am I then entitled to say, but if you ever use that, you must credit that as copyright to Louise Fletcher because I invented it. Because well, 
I didn't invent it. I, I just discovered it. And I'm sure so many other people did too. And there's two things there, aren't there? there there's, uh, can, are people free to use that? To which your point, yes, you've done a course. I've shown you how to use it. The purpose of you being here is to learn. Of course, you're free to use that. And then the next point is, are they free to go away and teach it as if it's their discovery? Yes. Two different things. See, I, and that's a good point because in my teaching, the first year I did my course, there was something, there were a couple of things, and I can't remember what they were, but they were things I had learned from Nicholas Wilton's CVP course. Yeah. And so I, whatever they were, I said, you know, I got, I got this from Nicholas Wilton on the CVP course. This is what the CVP course is. I was so careful to mention it. It was just a couple of techniques. It wasn't like I was teaching everything he taught. But then I got com a few complaints when I did my feedback survey of people saying, I got sick of hearing about um, yeah. Nicholas Wilton. And yeah. I was one, one woman said, I was wondering why I didn't just take his course instead of yours, um, because you mentioned him so often. So I think I overdid it a bit. Yeah. Um, but I do always feel like I do that also with um, another artist. I took one workshop with, but she taught me a really cool technique for playing, which I share. And I always say, as I got from uh, Leslie Birch at this workshop that I did two years ago, and I'll probably keep saying that until the end of time, but is it necessary to keep saying that? Because for all I know, Leslie got it from somewhere too. Well, I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessary, but I think it's nice. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we are all a product of learning from, a myriad of different sources. I mean, I have things that I use that are still at the forefront of my mind that I learned from my fantastic teacher at, at A-level. There isn't a huge amount of point in crediting him in particular because he doesn't work online and that was a long time ago. And But there are always things that we've learned from various different sources. And I think if you're just touching on a small point of it and it is part of something bigger, giving people the opportunity to go off and find more from that person from, that's not you is a lovely open way to kind of share and lead people into making new discoveries about their work or the way that they want to work. Um, but I think on this, on this topic of should we share our work, there are two probably audiences that it's important to think about so we're talking so far about teaching or sharing your work in the form of for for your case in, in a program or some kind of tuition but m most people probably don't have that as an option yet so it, then we're talking about perhaps sharing it on social media sharing it mm -hmm. in blog posts uh maybe even creating videos that you put on youtube and there are two elements in that as well is sharing for other artists and sharing for the purpose of people who are potentially interested in your work as collectors. And I just wonder how much, I think there's a nuance, but how much those two things are mutually exclusive in the sense that I think if people are interested in your work, they are also interested in, to, in how it came into being. And the real question here is, does this 
give away the secrets? Does this give away the mystery, like telling the world that certain uh, seasonal visitors may not exist? Or... (laughs) (laughs) I think your kids know that now, Alice. Well, some people listening might. might. (laughs) Um, Or does it actually kind of feed that desire to know more and feed and satisfy at the same time is it helpful from that point of view and I think that that question is probably the same whether it's for other artists or collectors yeah I mean I've had great success with a couple of things I've done for people who are interested in my work one is showing them videos of my process Mm -hmm. so if I have somebody come to the house and they're interested in certain paintings I often have a video speeded up of that painting being made and so I can show them oh here's how it happened and the other thing I think I took this from you actually talking about sharing ideas or from someone in your connected artist club was to do um, a graphic a big I took a big sheet of paper at open studios and I did a demo of how a painting had developed yeah was that from you yeah and um and people that was the most popular thing in my open studios and I didn't to me it seemed like those two things added to the mystery rather than taking away from it yeah because people were saying oh I didn't realize you you had so many layers and I didn't realize you didn't know what it was going to be when it started so so how do you decide to put, how did you decide to go to that stage? And, you know, it seemed to really create mystery. I think it, I think it does. And I think that's also an interesting point is that it doesn't always have to be done through video. You know, that that you're talking about was just single photographs. And, and when I did it, I did it with kind of descriptions. Underneath. Yeah, that's what I did. Yeah. You know, at an open studio event, what it does is it gives people it gives people something to respond to and to ask you questions. They maybe don't feel so uncomfortable. They've got something that they can actually ask you about. Video is another way of doing it, of course, which for social media perhaps works really well, Um, but can be difficult. And I think this comes back to how you actually work I mean I'm always getting asked you know can you do a video of a painting I tell you what I have tried from beginning to end you know what happens I get excited and I forget and I do a whole stage in the middle yeah I haven't recorded it and then I'm like well that stuffs up that sequence (laughs) yeah that's happened to me so many times sometimes I just pop on and say oh I missed a bit sorry (laughs) it went from here to here But that's also another thing, because I know that what's happened, sometimes I've posted things in the past and they have been speeded up. And, you know, you take 45 minutes of painting on a particular stage and it comes down to, I think, about a minute and a half. And uh, (laughs) I think if you're not careful, it can give the impression that you create your work at a kind of breakneck (laughs) really caring about its speed it's a really dull video to watch if you also include the time that you're sitting back and you're thinking about it and you're considering what stage to do next so we tend to cut all of that stuff out and I think we maybe do have to be careful that we give a not very helpful or a false impression of how easy it is to create artwork where we are really investigating and digging because that is hard to convey in a video. 
Yes. The only thing I've, I've, I felt exactly like that. And I have even had comments, someone saying, Oh, I wish I could create things that nice that quickly. And it's like, no, I did say at the top, this is three days of painting, um, into one short video. But one thing I have tried to do is to put day one flashes up and then some fast painting, then day two flashes up day three. And that does seem to help a bit, but I do totally agree with what you're saying and I think the same applies when artists look at what you're doing because they they say oh well I wish I could do that you know because it looks like you made it so effortless and also they say how did you how did you know to start with that bright orange and then end up over there well I didn't Mm because when I started with the bright orange I didn't know what was going to happen but it makes it look as if you did makes it look as if you had a plan yeah, I, I really like when I see other artists who've done it and I know that this is easier to do and it's a great way to start if you just want to start simple is uh, either, you know, uh, uh, videos, screens or um, what do I mean? Photographs made into videos just with like music overlay or speed up with overlay. But actually, I really like it when I can hear the artist talking. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a, a, a useful thing to add over the top. So whether you do that as a separate voiceover afterwards or whether you have a section where you're actually talking about your work. And the one that I, I did that on, on on YouTube, that's actually quite a long one of my thought processes right in the middle of a sticky middle stage of a painting. That's the one that's had the, the most uh, comments and feedback because I think what that does is is rather than just being an easily watchable easily disposable speeded up thing it really starts to give somebody insight into the thought processes mm-hmm. of what you're actually thinking while you're making the work um, and those are the videos from other artists I tend to really appreciate and enjoy is when they're when they're just explaining and talking about it so that could be on video or written if you just want to use photographs yeah one of the things that I've done during both the courses that I've taught this year is to do exactly that is to film myself painting usually several hours worth of painting filmed while I talk to myself while I think about what I'm doing while I make a mess And then I edit those into videos that are about 45 minutes long. And then I publish one each week so that the students of the course are watching my process. And the comments that I've had echo exactly what you said. People saying, oh, it's so good to see that you struggle with the same things I do. It's so good to see you saying. And particularly what was helpful was people seeing that I was not precious about what was happening because they're trying to loosen up for them to see me say, Oh, that's a mess. Throw it to one side, get something else and work on that and not be upset about it was really valuable. Um, and, and so valuable that I thought, you know, maybe it's worth sharing this as an online series for anybody that wants to actually pay to watch the whole thing. But what hasn't happened as a result of me doing that? So me doing that, none of it's speeded up or very occasionally I speed up boring bits, but most of it's at slow pace and I'm explaining what I'm doing. Nobody's tried to copy me. Nobody's, we we have one module in the course, which is called Steal Like an Artist. And I ask them to actually take an idea from someone else and then try and bring it into their paintings 
as a way of learning how someone else works, not to copy their painting, but to copy something from them. So I love the way they use line or I love the way they use blue or whatever. Um, and a few people chose me as the person to do that with, but you can't, I don't think unless you're really, really talented at copying, you can't copy someone else. It's too restricted. It becomes yours. Yeah. So, so I'm not, I don't feel precious at all about them seeing what I do because I know that if they take, let's say they take the mineral spirits thing, it will look completely different in their yeah. paintings. It won't yeah. look like mine. Yeah. And I, I don't, so I don't see any, I'm struggling to see a downside to so that, sharing as much as possible. Yeah, I mean, that's one of people's worries, isn't it? Is that, you know, my work's going to get copied very much in the same way that people worry that if they have it online, it's going to get nicked and reproduced in China or whatever. And yeah, I suppose it might. But at the, I just feel that at the end of the day, the chances are that uh, being open about what you do and how you make it has so much more chance for... Uh, benefit both for you and for other people than it does of of anything coming back to harm you and that, so therefore that I mean that's the way I think about it I mean I, I you know I, I don't find that my process is particularly shareable in video form because it seems to me that I'm I'm always changing something and I, I don't know how it's going to come out and that must be a bit irritating to watch or I don't even know when is going to be an exciting time to get the video camera set up to do it, but I do just sharing it through, through stories or photographs or that kind of thing. I think you make a very good point that what's interesting is the thought process and the feeling behind it. And that's actually what gives people either license to follow through with their own process or gives potential collectors and buyers a greater understanding of what's going on and what did it take to create this you know it's not as simple as sitting down picking your colors bish bash bosh and then the painting is done oh yeah not the way i work isn't it? yeah i think that's what's so valuable about it so um, yeah have we got any other, any other negative things what have we got <sighs> takes away the mystery we've spoken about time consuming yeah oh here's another pro here's another pro which goes back to what we we're talking about at the beginning so as well as building just natural interest and enthusiasm and feeding that curiosity in people i think also it's worthwhile remembering that we've all been at the stage where we begin and i think we've spoken about this before that those moments where you do sit down and you just search endless youtube videos as a way to put off going to the studio because you know that what you create uh, you know, you're not quite sure about it yet and it's hard to get started. I think it's nice to have something to give back that might be able to help other people. And longer term, I suppose that could help build towards teaching. So even if you're not running courses or teaching workshops, I know that certainly, you know, doing the workshop that I did in Yorkshire, I don't think I would have been... I wouldn't have felt comfortable saying yes to that had I not done other elements of sharing my work and my thought process and working that out for myself in advance of that. 
Otherwise, you're just like jumping in right at the deep end. So it's worth thinking that sharing your process is good not only for helping others, but it's good for helping you to identify and understand your own work. If you can be clear about it in the way that you're describing it to others, if you can show which bits you're really excited about, if you can be honest about the bits that don't go quite so well, I think that all helps sustain our own practice. And I think that's a very good, partly selfish reason to share and be open about your own process. That's true. And actually you're making me think, because I made a video about, uh, for the members of my course and in week two I realized some of them were moving from watercolor and had never used acrylics so I made this 20 minute introduction to acrylics video which really I felt was so basic you know I just very very quick quickly made this video and I got so much feedback from the students even the experienced artists saying oh I've been using acrylics for 10 years and I didn't know x or that was really helpful that i put it out available now for free and i'll put a link in the show notes to anybody who wants to get that and the response to it's been amazing and it's just 20 minutes so basic you know filmed really simply but what's been i'm not planning to use that at the moment for anything it's just been nice to get the it's so nice to get an email from someone who says oh, I didn't understand that I could put that much water into my acrylic paint. I didn't understand. I thought I had to buy a medium and I've been struggling. And now I just the most basic knowledge that we take for granted. We don't know what we know. We we think it's too simple to share with anyone. And really it's, it's, it has an amazing impact on someone else's life. And that's just a nice thing to do. Yeah. Regardless. Yeah. Um, Downsides. We said, we have difficulty to film. Yeah. Now I have a really nifty little setup over my table where I can slot my phone into this device thing, this handle that comes out of the wall and it makes my phone into a camera pointing down on the table in the exact right spot. And that has made such a difference because I used to have to get a tripod up on the table and hold my phone over where I was working and then the legs were in the way and I couldn't move my arms and having this camera over my table. So when I get my new working space, that's going to be something I'm going to actually build into it is some of these handles, holders, whatever you want to call it, phone holders coming from the roof and coming from the walls so that I can just walk in, slip my phone in, press record and get going. Yeah, you can get really nice adjustable arms that you either screw onto a table or up in the studio upstairs. I've, I fixed a kind of ceiling bracket so I can just clip something. Yeah, on. mine's actually a TV wall mounting bracket. And then um, my friend made me this, bent some metal so that my phone goes in it. But some anything, I'm sure you can buy things. This was a bit more handmade, but that just makes it so much easier and I find I do it all the time now and often I throw the video away if it didn't end up being any good I can just delete it but setting up a tripod and getting it in the right spot for the lights and all that ended up putting me off yeah make it easy time consuming yeah because you've got to edit everything to make it entertaining but they're they're minimal downsides I think 
based on for, for all the upsides we should yeah. have got someone on who we should have got someone on who disagrees so they could argue with us maybe there are people listening who are shouting at us no no i think this so if you think that you have to let us know well i can i can give you quite a good example of somebody who likes keeping things secret other than other than i guess the most famous person would be banksy wouldn't he you yeah um there is somebody at one of the art fairs i goes to who they have this whole kind of persona i can't remember the name but the whole persona is that they're like a hooded person and they have this youtube channel of them creating the art but you never see their face they've got the they've got this hoodie on all the time and it's like here's this art and i'm making it but you don't know who i am because i'm the mystery artist it's slightly defeated at the art fair where they're where they're standing. i was gonna say what did they do at that fair? and 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 they do have uh somebody else on their stand who kind of sells the work for them but the persona doesn't really quite live up to the hype and i just all of that stuff just feels a little bit contrived to me. I've just, I suppose that's the other thing here is that just being open and honest about where you are in it has just made it so much easier for me at every stage to be able to share the process and the progress where I am at the moment. Like I'm not pretending to be an expert. There are things that I've learned. There are things that I know. There are a million times more things that I don't even know that I don't know yet. But, you know, we all learn from somebody who's a next stage on from us and we kind of choose where we learn from. And I think that's one of the exciting, really exciting things about learning as an adult. You get to set your own timetable. You get to set your own kind of, you know, your schedule or kind of create your own curriculum from where you're going to learn from. And, And, you know, other artists online can certainly be a way to do that. Yeah, let's move on because it's a good question and I've also got a good thing in what's inspired this week. So Okay, so this question is from Wendy. Wendy said she's been very creative in all sorts of media, but lately she's been wanting to paint again. She's got acrylics and oils, but she doesn't know about choosing a substrate. And she was struggling with canvases and then she was wondering if board would be better. And her question is what how do you and I make a decision about what substrate to use, what factors go into that selection. Right. Should I kick this off? Yes, go ahead. Okay. So I have always enjoyed working on um, board or panel. I started off working on small pieces of MDF. MDF isn't ideal when you get big because it start, can start to get heavy and the edges can kind of... Um, how best to describe it, fluff up or fray a bit. So given a choice, I would always rather work on plywood than MDF um, and have it primed. And I, I loved working on that, even with oil paints a long, long time ago, because it gave me this smooth surface that I could draw back into. And I just loved that transition from work that was happening in my sketchbook into that. Scaling up, however, has been trickier. And, and when I first did it, I thought I was clever in creating these kind of wooden panels that I made myself with clamps and wood glue because I didn't realise that you could buy them, that they existed. Um, But certainly when you get larger, it 
gets heavier and depending on how it's made you can have issues with them twisting or warping so my large panels I buy from artist surfaces who actually just before we came on to record this I saw an email from them they have got an offer running so they're in the UK and this is 15% off until the 6th of December. This is not a promoted post or anything. Um, I just use them. I love them. They have an aluminium subframe to them. So there is, they are totally sound, totally solid, absolutely beautiful, not cheap, which is why you might like the 15% no. off. <laughs> so we will, we will put a link, but that's for UK people only. Um, so yeah it's a beautiful material to work on but it does get heavy so recently i've been back to canvas and i was a little bit worried about it initially and you can't draw back in in quite the same way but actually it's forced me to i think be more creative in my mark making so one of my considerations this was the question how do you choose is weight scale when I started doing large canvases, I thought I wouldn't frame them. It turns out that I am. So that ends up being probably even more expensive than buying these big panels. And those I don't mind so much having unframed. They feel kind of more solid as a piece. Um, so weight is an issue. Um, having said that, I don't know. At the moment, I am almost feeling like I'm not particularly wedded to one or the other I'm you know the other ones now that I'm working on are back on wood again so it will be interesting to see if somehow my process changes back again but I'm honestly feeling at the moment like I could work on either and it wouldn't really matter because at the end of the day the surface that you're working on is less important than the painting that you're putting onto it yeah and I think I wonder if I believe that. So I find I work really differently on canvas to on board. Right. I really struggle with canvas, to be fair. And I've just bought a giant one for the same reasons you said. I can't lift wood panels any bigger than I've got. I had a warping issue with one of them. And uh, I don't want to have that again. So I bought this big canvas. I don't like it. But that just might be a need to get used to it. But where I do work differently is when I work on paper. And so when I decide to work on paper, which I also enjoy, I, I was taught by someone else, oh, you don't have to gesso paper. If you get thick watercolor paper, so the thickest, strongest watercolor paper, it doesn't need gessoing oh, for acrylics, which is true. It doesn't. Yeah. And David Tress taught that in his workshop, and he certainly has plenty of success with acrylics on ungessoed paper. But I absolutely hate it. I hate the way the first layer soaks into the paper and it dulls it down. And so what I found is if I put a couple of coats of gesso on, then I much prefer it. Then it feels more like wood in a way. Yep. And one thing I have found I loved is mount board. It's called in the UK. In the US, it's, it's what you use to create mats for paintings. And I don't know what that is in Australia or New Zealand or anywhere else. But that card that you buy for mats when you want to frame a painting, yep. you can buy big sheets of that. And if you put two coats of gesso on top of that, then it's a fantastic surface to work on. 
and so much less expensive than boards or canvases, except that then when it comes time to, you have to pay to frame it behind glass. You do, yeah. And so that gets more expensive. Yeah. So these are the kind of things that go into, but at the moment I'm really enjoying working on paper and card. And I do have some boards going and I have one canvas. Um, but it would, if I could have wood panels that were light and easy to move around and didn't walk, I choose wood panels every time. Yeah. Uh, you make a good point about working on paper and the, the freedom element of it. Because although the framing is more expensive, at least you get to paint and explore and do multiple pieces without it costing you a lot up front. And that is the issue obviously with wood panels is that you've made a significant investment already and that could be something that you know holds you back makes you feel more hesitant so I think some of this again comes down to what stage you're at in your in your journey as well as purely what you enjoy working on but I think you I think really you need to experiment um, yeah yeah and it's just about yourself because what the other thing I love about paper, which doesn't apply to canvas or board, well, maybe canvas, but you can crop it down. Yeah, you can you can say, wow, that bit's fantastic. Crop that down, frame that. And that's really freeing then. Um, but anyway, yes, I think it's everybody's choice is different, isn't it? And And for Wendy, who's just going back to painting after so long away just try everything that we've said and see which one feels best. Cause I've had people say they hate plywood to work on. Yeah. So yeah so people find it kind of quite dry and yeah, know, they don't like it from that point of view, but she had a particular issue. So she said she was scrubbing back on the canvas and creating this kind of nice muted hazy look, I guess of, of all the colors kind of coming together, but then noticed the stretcher bars across the back of the canvas was visible. So um, that, shouldn't really happen if your canvas is stretched tightly enough so when you I, w I would say that um and again this goes back to the warping thing you know even uh canvas stretcher bars can warp mm -hmm. slightly and twist they're not it's not you're not totally immune from that yeah it's usually easier to pull them back in particularly if you are going to frame them you can screw them into a, a solid frame and that will fix it back again um bizarrely actually these ones of mine that are on deep canvases the framer is having to unstretch them remount them on something different and then frame them so right. I've made life doubly difficult for myself so that probably is something else to consider is that um if you want to work on canvases and you want to have it framed think about whether you how your framing choice is going to look because if you're going for a deep canvas frame you're slightly limiting your options on framing so, so i think that's probably a lot more information than wendy asked for but <laughs> there you go wendy i hope it helped so let's go on to what's inspired since it sounds like we both have inspirational things this week so tell me about yours alice Okay, so mine is very topical. Mine is, uh, I was driving my daughter to school this morning and um, shouldn't really be listening to Radio 4 in the morning because news in the UK just makes me want to shout at the radio at the moment. Anyway, Radio 4 was on and Thought for the Day is on and for... I will put a link, but I think you will only be able to listen to this if you can sign into the BBC app. Thought for the Day is two minutes that comes on 
uh, at the news program and they're philosophical they come from different religious leaders um kind of they're not always religious though but basically they're ways of thinking about life some of them are great the one this morning i thought was fab it was from rabbi lord Sachs, and he was talking about the gap between principle and practice and it really struck home to me because of course we've been doing all of this stuff in best art year ever and we've kicked off with thinking about you know celebrating and setting dreams and everybody is like great we can all get inspired and think of good things and then we have to move into the realities of actually doing it and it starts to become a little bit harder and um he was talking about just this idea that he had statistics about how many people know something is wrong and yet they do it anyway um so the number of people who know adultery is wrong but they've still had an affair <laughs> You know, we know smoking is wrong and yet we still do it. And how can you know that something is wrong and you do it anyway? And apparently, I'm not an expert on this, Plato thought it was impossible, but Aristotle accepts it just as a kind of crazier weakness of will. And he gives the illustration, of course, of Adam and Eve. But the point of this and why it's relevant is that when it comes to bad behavior, his words, not mine, bad behavior, uh, you can't hide forever. Sooner or later, you'll be found out. Adam and Eve knew it was wrong. They got found out. When we tell a lie, it sits with us and usually it ends up making us feel bad. So we might start by deceiving others, but we end up usually by deceiving ourselves. And he ends on saying, you know, this is why we must all listen to our conscience and let that guide us. And I just, I just, it just felt so appropriate, this idea of this gap between what we want the principle and the practice of actually doing it and it's hard you know it's hard but we do all have this kind of inner wisdom we have this desire to to want things to be better for ourselves to want to make changes and yet the doing is difficult so I guess what inspired me is that we have this wonderful thing as humans of ever renewing optimism <laughs> you know every year <laughs> we make new year's resolutions we still keep believing in ourselves and i think that's a really good thing to keep hold of so that's a very long story to say if you're feeling this gap between principle or what you want and practice it's okay go easy on yourself and all we need to do is just keep resetting ourselves Oh, I like that. Yeah. I worked I worked for the podcast this week. <laughs> <laughs> so what's yours? Well, mine is unusual. When I start this story, it'll seem like it's going somewhere different than it's actually going. So some people some listeners will remember that I've talked about an artist I admire very much who died a few years ago. His name was Richard Snowden, and he was a local Yorkshire semi-abstract painter. Um and he all of his paintings have not been up for sale since he died, which was, I think, maybe four years ago. And his wife, um, his widow, had an exhibition last week of his work. Um, and you could go and buy. And the, the, uh, when on the opening night preview, when they opened the doors, people were running past the wine 
to go find a painting. It was, I have never seen so many red dots in my life on an opening night. It was unbelievable. But that wasn't the inspiring part. We went the following day and we asked to chat to his wife, Claire. And we knew her just as his farm, a farmer's wife. She used to sell furniture on the farm, like vintage furniture. She was an interior decorator. Yeah. And when we were chatting to her, she told us the story of what had happened since Richard died. And she had tried to farm and couldn't do it, couldn't make it pay with hiring contractors. It was too difficult. And she had some really dark years. They had occasionally hosted weddings on the farm that she organized. And one of her friends said to her, maybe you should look at turning it into a wedding venue and you, you're good at that. Basically, over the following two years, she went through this process of seeking planning permission, going through all the things you have to go through, getting loans to convert this quite ramshackle farm into a stunning and I am stunning wedding venue. You almost want to get married again, just so you can go there and get married. It's in a giant barn. Everything is exquisite. It's a mixture of vintage and stylish and rustic and classic. It's just beautiful. But she was telling us the story and she said when she went for planning permission, they said no at first. She had to fight that. Then they gave her the planning permission. But the phrase she used was, with so many requirements and obstacles that any normal person would have given up. Yeah. And um, she didn't say, but I'm not a normal person, but she isn't a normal person. And so it added three quarters of a million pounds to the two and a quarter million pounds bill she already was in for. So she spent three million pounds to convert this barn. And um, now the only week of the year that she could have this exhibition was this week or last week, because every other week is booked up with at least one, but usually three weddings Oh my gosh! at a cost of about 15,000 pounds each just to rent the place plus all the other things on top. And then she was saying, and I think I'm going to start a florist business because at the moment we buy our flowers in, but if I had a florist on site, then we could also generate revenue from, and I and so on the in the car on the way home we were doing our sums and we were like wow so she's paid for it already probably because she did this a couple of years ago, and everything about her was so inspiring. She was just she, you know, she comes through this horrible thing and she's just a woman getting it done on her own terms, running the business she wanted to run, doing it beautifully and succeeding at it and and loving it, and it just made me just feel you know really really inspired about what we can do like you were saying the optimism when life just throwing all these obstacles at you and you just get over all of them and say and I'm sure there were people in her life saying don't borrow all that money yeah. that's crazy yeah. you're never going to pay it back and even the people I've told about it have said oh there's wedding venues everywhere these days that sounds like a loser and I'm like well three weddings a week every week of the year she's not losing um, is she enjoying it now it's at that pace of three weddings a week she seemed so in command I mean I don't know well enough to know what she secretly yeah. thinks but she just looked like a woman in her element you yeah. know that her staff were there because the exhibition was busy so her wedding planning staff were helping but she just looked like this is my life this is my business I'm in charge and I'm having a blast and I just thought it was amazing but that's the key, isn't it? When you're when you're doing something that you can see that there is a real 
real value and purpose to that makes sense to you you're prepared to get through all those obstacles and you know to a certain degree once you've started you've almost got no choice (laughs) yeah (laughs) going going with it but it does give you the fire to keep going and I think maybe that that's what we we've all got to do is just find that thing that we're prepared to do that for yeah exactly lovely, lovely when you find examples where you can see it and like you say you come away thinking go you yeah exactly and the funniest part was I said oh Richard would be so proud if he saw all this because I remember him saying to us I'm worried about what Claire's going to do when I'm gone and uh, I said he would be so proud and she said he would he'd be really proud but he'd never let me spend three million pounds (laughs) he would have done it on the cheap he would have said well surely we could just you know put up some wallpaper or something over the barn so anyway yeah very inspiring story very good thanks everybody for listening we've seen a really good growth in our numbers in recent weeks and we're so pleased and thank you everybody for sharing for telling other people about it we really appreciate it and please don't forget that you can support the podcast if you're so inclined by buying us a coffee at ko-fi.com backslash art juice link will be in the show notes lovely to be with you again see you all next week bye 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 do you know no matter how many times we do this it's the last bit that i get struggle with it's beginning and endings it's funny isn't it because it's like when you do a painting beginning and endings i think of the fun part yeah do the podcast we just natter on fine all the way through and then we get to the end and we go (laughs) and we had no doorbells and no dogs no mine's just come back from daycare i can hear